Well, good morning once again, Lifehouse Church. It is so good to be with you today. We've got, I mean, we've got a lot going on today. And uh, you, I just want to tell everyone who walked in a little late, uh, first of all, thank you for your patience as we found you a seat. And second of all, I want to remind you, we start at 10 o'clock. Um, uh, and we actually start at 10 these days. So uh, uh, get here early, you know what I'm saying? Um, this ain't like the new movie theaters where you get your seat in advance. I mean, it's first come, first serve. So, um, hey, we're going to continue our series in the Beatitudes today, and we're also going to talk about the future of Lifehouse. But before we do that, I want to honor our students and our educators uh, today. That we, in Oak Ridge, we had our first full week back to school. Come on. And here at, uh, if some of you uh, don't even know this, but we have an academy that is part of Lifehouse Church. It starts back in the next couple of weeks, and we're just praying for the Lord to move mightily in the students' lives. Uh, if you are a student, whether you're pre-K through, you know, 13th grade, whatever that looks like for you, uh, <clears throat> would you stand up just real quick? Just stand up. Let our, come on, all the kids. We got It's Family Sunday. We should be having a lot of folks stand in today. If you're an educator, if you work in a school in any capacity, would you stand? Come on, if you work, we got over here, right there, yeah, come on. I want to invite Chad. Chad, run down here quick. You should have already been here. You should have read my mind and known what to do. Chad leads our Lifehouse student ministry. And I asked him... Uh, would you pray over our students, our schools, and our educators, and everyone involved? Go ahead, Chad. All right, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for how good you are, and we thank you for all these students that are sitting uh, beside us, in front of us, and behind us, uh, for the teachers, the administrators, Lord, uh, and the schools. Um, they're under attack, uh, but you are greater, and we trust in you. We trust that this year that uh, you would... Uh, you would protect the students and the teachers, their minds, uh, their bodies, Lord, their spirit. I pray that you would also use them. Uh, they need to be used in this place. Uh, we have our kids there, God, uh, to proclaim your word, uh, your truth, Lord, and your goodness. Um, so we just pray that that would happen in Oak Ridge and Oliver Springs and Clinton and even out to Seymour. Uh, Lord, there's students everywhere and the educators, God, that they would love on the students and the administrators that they just love on, uh, the teachers uh, that need the encouragement. So, uh, God, do what you do best um, and just bring glory to yourself uh, this school year. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Also, since it's Family Sunday, if you work in any capacity in our kids' ministry or student ministry, would you stand? You serve once a month. Uh, go ahead and stand. You work in the nursery. Check in, check. Yeah, come on, let's celebrate these men and women. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Incredible, incredible. So today we're going to continue our series on the B attitudes. And it helps it helps you if you'll say it that way. These are B attitudes. Like, you know, you get what I'm saying, right? Have these attitudes, right? 
And in actuality, they are nine. Some people say they're ten, but I'm only going to preach this series for nine weeks. So for the, for the purposes of this sermon series, there's nine of them. Uh, there's nine statements, and they're, they're upside-down kingdom statements. And, and Jesus is uh, the king of kings, but he's also the king of, of sharing and giving us these upside-down ideas. You know, Jesus says things like, if you want to be great, make yourself last. If you want to be, if you want to be somebody of importance then go ahead and make up your mind that you will serve the least of these. If you want life, then you have to die. And so the Beatitudes fall right in line with these statements that Jesus makes, these upside-down statements. You know, and a lot of people read the Beatitudes, and they read them as if it is a list of rules that we are to keep. But in actuality, it's not a list of rules. It's a, a posture that we are to pursue. It is a posture that we are to pursue. And as we pursue this posture, you see, you don't, uh, you don't become a man or a woman of God by trying to act right. Okay? You don't, you don't become somebody that God uses by trying to live up to a list of rules and expectations. You, you become a man or woman of God by setting Jesus in your sights and running as hard and as fast towards him, not giving attention to anything in your, in your field of view that to the left or the right that would distract you from the one that you are pursuing. And as we pursue this posture with Jesus in our sights, his Holy Spirit transforms our heart. He transforms our minds. And it begins to impact us. And then as what, what happens is God does a work in me and God does a work in you. And then as you go home and, and God has done that work in you and is doing that work in you, he begins to do that work around you, right? And, 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 and what God does in you, God does in your home. And then what God will do in your home, God will do in your church. You see, I just want to say this, revival does not start in churches. It starts in homes. It starts in people. And then what God does in my home, he does in our church. And then what he does in our church, guess what? He then does in our community what he does in our community. I believe, and you might say, oh, Pastor Drew, you're setting your sights a little too high. Well, ye of little faith, right? How many times did Jesus look at his disciples and say, how long will you continue in this area of disbelief and unbelief and lack of faith? So here's the deal. I am going to shoot big, right? I'm going to dream big. I'm going to believe God for what, if I can accomplish it, then why do I need God, right? And so as God works in me, as God works in my home, as God works in our church, as God works in our community, I'm believing God that he will change our country. And, and I'm just telling you, and I love you, and I don't, I'm not like soapboxing on this. Is, this is actually something I planned in advance. If you think electing specific political leaders will change our country in a way that will bring revival to our land, I don't know what you're drinking, but it's good stuff. Because humans got us in this mess, and humans will not get us out of this mess. We need a move of God. We need a move of God. But a move of God doesn't start here. It starts here. It starts here. And my friends, you know, we, we use this word revival. Um, and I have always thought that revival looked like filled altars. 
that revival looked like people praying in tongues and speaking in the spirit and prophesying. That real revival looked like packed church services, kind of like this one. And can I just tell you, they may be part of the fruit of revival, revival, but real revival, everybody say real revival. Real revival is a transformed heart and mind. Real revival, I gotta say it right, I'm not saying it right, is, is restored families and homes filled with love and compassion. Real revival is life-giving churches that are more concerned about those outside of their walls than they are those inside of their walls. That's what real revival looks like. Real revival then spills over and we see God-honoring communities and we see churches partnering with other churches to make an impact that goes beyond just their own church. We see people begin to live a life outwardly focused so that they are impacting the world around them because of what Jesus has done inside of them. But it all starts, it all starts with a posture of our hearts and where our sights are set. And so Jesus, as he preaches the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, he gives this introduction and he says, essentially, hey, if you want to sing, see the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, and that's how he taught us to pray, right? Also, in Matthew 6, just, just a chapter later, he said, pray this way. And part of that prayer was that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done, talking to God, on earth as it already is in heaven. And part of that, or really the, the, the brunt of that, starts in me. And so as we look at the Beatitudes, what Jesus is saying is, is if you want to see heaven on earth, it has to start inside of you. And then what he does inside of you, he does through you. And what he does through you, he then does around you. And so he starts each one of these beatitudes with this word blessed. Or if you're old school, you say blessed. Um, I don't know the difference. I don't know why we do that. Maybe I'm saying it wrong, but it's my sermon, so who cares? <laughs> and and it, the other way you would say this is God blesses. And if you go back to the, to the Greek scriptures and you study the book of Matthew and you really dive into it, what you actually find out in this word blessed is Jesus is saying happy is, happy is the person. Or even, even you could say God makes happy the person who. And, and so, you know, a lot of times in the church we'll say, oh, God, does, not, God doesn't care about your happiness. He just cares about your holiness. Can I just tell you, he kind of cares about both. And, and to say that God doesn't care about your happiness, he only cares about your holiness, makes him a mean, enforcing father. When in fact, he is a God and a father who sets a certain standard, but he is also a God of compassion. A God, Jesus says in Matthew 7, if you who are good fathers want to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father, who is perfect, want to give good gifts to his children? Aren't you thankful that he's a good father? And he wants you to be happy? Here's the thing, though, is that the happiness that God offers is not happiness, is not like the happiness the world offers. The happiness the world offers is based on happenings, right? So, so when the happenings go my way, then I'm happy, right? But what about when the happenings don't go my way? As they, let's be real, 
that's usually the, the, the brunt of it, right? That's usually, that's usually how things work out. I'm, try, I'm not trying to be negative, but I'm just being honest with you. Uh, more times than not, the happenings are against me, not for me, right? And so if my happiness, if the happiness God gives me is based on the happenings around me, then, then, then I'm not going to be very happy. But how many of you understand that my happiness, my joy, my blessings are not contingent upon things around me that I cannot control. Rather, they are contingent upon the condition of my heart, which is completely and totally under my control as I am connected to him. Bobby, can you give me just like 0.2% more monitor? 0.2%. And so this is what he says in Matthew 5. Everybody, take your Bible real quick. I'll be done reading by the time you get there, but go to Matthew chapter 5. I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning. It says, One day, as Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples gathered around him. Now, this would not just be the 12. This would be the hundreds, if not thousands. And this is a long sermon, right? This is, I mean... Even on my longest sermon day, I, I don't even touch Jesus, so y'all just need to get with it, okay? I don't want to hear any complaining come 1230. I'm just kidding. We ain't doing that. I sang too much for that. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them, and he said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. We talked about that week one, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble or meek, for they will inherit the whole earth. And then lastly, for our message today, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice or for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Would you pray for me? Would you pray with me as we dive into what the Word says today? Father, Again, we come to you and we thank you because of your goodness, because of your graciousness. And Lord, as I do what I can do, which isn't much, God, I pray that you would do what only you can do. And God, you change hearts. You change lives. God, I pray today that even though I have written this message, read this message, and studied this message, that you would speak uniquely to me because God, I need to hear from you just as much as anybody else does. And I pray that as we leave, that we will leave having encountered your goodness, your love, and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 5, 6, the NIV says it like this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, I don't know about you. But something that I like to do when I want to understand something better is to try to define and understand what the opposite of that thing would be. And so I, I sat around my office one day, Paige before church said, who wrote this? Who, who came up? Who do I need to give credit to this quote? And I said, well, I wrote it. And she looked at me like, no, you didn't. <laughs> I don't know if that either means that it was good or bad, but th here's the opposite of Matthew 5, 6. In my mind, disappointed are those who chase after the things of this, this world offers instead of God and what he offers to meet their greatest longings for purpose and fulfillment. For they will remain empty no matter how hard they try to fill their life with things that do not last. 
Disappointed are those. Come on. Disappointed are those who chase after the things this world offers. I've been there, guys. I've been there. Instead of God and what He offers to meet their greatest longings, and it is purpose and fulfillment. That's, that's every, I don't care what country you're from, what color your skin is, what, what nationality you have, what gender you are. Your greatest longing is for purpose and fulfillment. You might be attaching things to it, but at the end of the day, when you get down to the core of it, you want to know why and you want to know what. For they will remain empty no matter how hard they try to fill their life with things that do not last. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I'm going to be quick this morning because we're going to celebrate in just a few moments what we believe God's doing today, what God's doing in the future of Lifehouse, and we're going to celebrate a few individuals who are making public their proclamation of faith. That's great. It's good news. So forgive me if I don't take too long. I know you guys were looking for an hour and a half long sermon, but here you go. First thing I want to ask you is why don't we, and I'm just kind of lumping everybody in here because I don't care where you are in your walk in faith, like how you walked in the doors. I think if we're going to be honest, if we're going to be real, uh, we would all say, you know, I could, I, could, I could be a little more hungry for Jesus. I could be a little more thirsty for what he has for me, right? Can I, anybody help me out today? You may have walked in. I don't, I don't think anybody walked in and said, you know what? I got everything I need. I'm doing so good right now. They should let me preach today. Talk to me after church if that's you. We'll cast that devil out of you. Anyway, why don't we hunger and thirst for righteousness? Number one, I think it's because we value the wrong things. Come on, how, how much time, how much anxiety, how much sometimes money and energy do we devote to things that ultimately will soon be forgotten, that just don't last, that, that moth will, or rust will destroy, that, that memories will forget, things that just don't matter. You know, as a, as a dad, and my kids are in the room today, two of them are, I, I, I was talking to Kristen, and I was thinking, you know, I wish we could do, and just fill in the blank with, like, you know, exotic vacations that I, you wish we could do. And she says, you know, and, and, and Olivia's going to probably look at me in disagreement. She says, you know, though, here's the thing. That would be cool and that would be memorable, but you getting out and throwing water balloons in the backyard with them would be just as memorable. And they'll remember that. And so last night, I squirted them with water guns all over the house, didn't I? Yeah. And you're going to remember that. Come on. It's the things that we often don't give that much attention to. That, that really matter, that really last. And it's the things that, that, that eventually disappear either in our memories or we sell it or it gets ruined or we outgrow it because we ate too many little Debbies. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? That, 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 that's why I like shoes. They fit no matter how big. Come on, somebody. That's good preaching, Annie and AJ. And we give all this energy and all this attention to things that don't matter because we value the wrong things. We get up in arms over sports teams and come on, somebody. I mean, you would, never mind, never mind. We get so committed to things that do not matter, that do not last, that do not 
impact eternity. So we value the wrong things. Number two, we fill up on the wrong things. We fill up on the wrong things. You know, I read this thing on Facebook where, you know, which is the ultimate source of truth. Somebody's never been on Twitter, yeah. And it said that if you are a man at 35 years of age, you either do one of two things. You buy a motorcycle or you start smoking meat. Something like that. Right? And I can't even ride a bike anymore. You know they say you never forget how to ride a bike? Uh, I call. That's a lie. That's a lie, y'all. That ain't true. Uh, and also, I don't want to ride a bike. Anyway, so I've been, I've been smoking meat a lot more lately. Uh, do what? Smoking meat. Not, what did I say? Ben's up here calling me out. Like, I don't even know what I, did I say it wrong? You heard? You heard what you wanted to hear, son. You just want to know when you come over. That's all it was. Like pork shoulders and baby back ribs and brisket. That's what I'm talking about. Thank you, Paige. Well, maybe this sermon is going to go a little long. I don't know. Lord, yeah. You give me a motorcycle, all I can do is look at it. And... And here's the thing about smoking meat, like pork and beef, sometimes poultry, but never fish. I ain't got no time for that. If you don't deep fry fish, I don't want it. Anyway, you know, we smoked a brisket a while back, which is, I'm just going to tell you, that's the holy grail of barbecue, right? And I know you didn't come here today looking for advice on barbecue. Uh, and ultimately, I'm really not the one to give it because I have messed up way more than I've done right on it. But here's the thing about brisket. It's either really good or it's hot garbage. I mean, it's either, it's either juicy brisket or bad beef jerky. And, uh, and it took us 16, almost 18 hours to smoke that thing for when it was ready to eat. But here's the deal. I could have I went to Food City... And I could have bought a box of Hot Pockets. And I could have put them in my microwave. And within just a few minutes, I could have had it's just as many calories, and probably because it was brisket, just as much sodium as I did when we finally, 17 hours later, got our brisket. But how many of you understand that, I, I mean, if you like Hot Pockets, you're just, you know, like, I can eat a Hot Pocket. But I don't know anybody that likes Hot Pockets. All the kids raising their hands today. And Chad Moran. I mean, hey, to each their own, right? But would you take a Hot Pocket over a, a slice of brisket? Come on now, that's what I said. Uh, Chad would, he ain't got no sense. But, he, but, but here's the thing. If I, I could have eaten all the same calories and, and gotten just as full, but it wouldn't have felt nearly as good. And it would have been a lot quicker, and it would have honestly been a lot easier. And it, hey, can I tell you right now, 
with beef the price that it is, it would have cost a lot less too, right? But see, that's the thing about God. It will cost you more. Come on, he says, if anybody wants to follow me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and then they can be my disciple. It'll cost you more. It'll take you longer because I don't care how long you've been following Jesus. If you're going to be real with yourself and you look at yourself in the mirror, you're still going to see things that he's working on, that he's changing, that he's transforming. It's going to take longer. It's going to cost you more. But in the end, can I tell you, it is so much better. But we get full on the wrong things because we value the wrong things. And then we walk into church and we see people excited. We see people jumping. We see people lifting their hands. And you're thinking, ah, it's all right. And it's because you are full on junk. And then lastly, we miss out on the real thing, which is purpose, eternal impact. And most of all, Jesus. We miss, you know, Jesus, or the psalmist said, God said, taste and see that I'm good. Can I tell you right now, God, I mean, this is going to sound a little weird, but, but God wants you to take a bite out of him. He wants, he wants, you know, here's the thing. I wouldn't like brisket. Come on, somebody. I can't get away from it. If I had never tried it. But man, once I had a good bite of brisket, there ain't no going back. Because I know what I'm missing when I don't have it. And, 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 and here's the thing. Once you have an encounter with God, I'm not talking about I went to church on Sunday and heard a sermon and sang some songs. I'm talking about an encounter that changes your life. Once you have an encounter with Him, there's no going back. Because you know what you're missing out on. So when we don't hunger and thirst for the things of God is because we've been valuing the wrong things. It's because we've been filling up on the wrong things. And it's because, and then as a result of that, then we start missing out on the real things. I, I read this verse a few weeks ago. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, God has planted eternity in the human heart. And I don't care where you're from, what religion you are, if you're an atheist or agnostic or whatever. At the end of the day, every single person you've ever met, including yourself, you are trying to find purpose and meaning and fulfillment for your life. Because God, your creator, who designed you, he made you with something in you that would look for him and would long for him. St. Augustine said it this way. This is so cool. He said, thou hast formed us for thyself and our hearts are restless Till they find rest in thee. Thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. Paul in, in, in the Bible is, is one of the, the great metaphor makers, right? Paul, as he preaches and as he writes, he uses metaphor and he uses these comparisons to help people understand. And one of the things that he says in 2 Corinthians, he says that people, and this would be all people, once again, all people, we, we are like jars of clay. We are, we've been fashioned by a potter and, and we've been uniquely designed as a jar, as a clay. And what's the key characteristic of a jar? It's that you can put something in it, right? 
He said that every human is like a jar of clay and that we who have believed upon Jesus for our salvation and have committed our life to follow him, that we have been filled with his spirit. And Paul calls that a great treasure. He says the great treasure of God is, lives inside fragile jars of clay, right? For those who believe Jesus. But what about for those who don't believe Jesus? They're, they are the people that are trying to find something to put in their jar to fill that void. And the more they put in there, the more empty they realize they are. And everyone you've ever met. Everybody say everyone. Everyone, everyone you've ever had an argument with on Facebook. If you're arguing on Facebook, you got too much free time. Everyone is looking for a great treasure to fill their jar with. And we, as the church, and I'm not talking about Lifehouse Church, I'm talking about the church, the body of Christ, the people of God. And I am also talking about Lifehouse Church. We have been commissioned by Jesus Himself. Read it in Matthew 28. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Show them the way. We have been commissioned by Jesus to show this world who He is. And we as Lifehouse Church, our mission is to show the world that they are loved and highly valued. And here's, here's, here's the thing. is like, you know... We're, it would be easy to think that the problem with the world is that they need to love Jesus. You know, it's you know we'll say things smarter like, oh, you know they they obviously aren't a Christian or they obviously don't love Jesus. Um, but the real the real problem with our world is that everybody's looking to be loved and not knowing where to find it. They're looking for fulfillment, af affirmation, purpose, meaning, hope. And we as a church, we either have the option, we can point fingers, and we can point out wrongs, we can point out problems, we can say things about politics and culture, and we can make a big fuss about it. But I've never known anybody's life get changed because they lost an argument, because they lost a debate, because they were made to feel bad. But I have seen people, and I'm one of them standing here in front of you today, whose life was changed for eternity because somebody loved them and showed them the love of Jesus. That's why it's our mission to show the world that they're loved and highly valued. It's not our mission to say, uh, you're going to hell. It's our mission to say, hey, there's a better way. Let me show you the way. And Paul talks about how the Spirit Spirit of God or the salvation that we receive from God is like a treasure, right? He says, you know, we've received this treasure into jars of clay. But here's the thing about the treasure that God gives. Is, you know, normally if I said, hey, if you guys, if you somebody go grab a shovel, we've got a treasure out here in the backyard um, or the side yard. <laughs> Eventually that treasure would disappear because we would consume it, right? There's nothing out there. Don't go digging. It, well, if there is, you know, give the church 10%, okay, whatever. <laughs> But here, the treasure of God works the opposite. Because remember, it's an upside-down kingdom. And the more people who, dis who discover the treasure, the greater the treasure becomes. The greater the body grows. So here's our big announcement. I think half the people, at least in the room, already know what it is. 
But on September 11th, which I know is a, a day that we uh, celebrate in a different way, and honor in a different way, but, you know, we're going to use that date. And, and I'm not saying that it erases the things that happened in 2001, but we're going we're gonna to see God do something great on that day at Lifehouse Church. Amen? Amen. So on September 11th, we're going to launch a second service here at our church. I'm glad you're excited. I'm glad you're excited. I don't know what's happening up there. Uh, and, and, and they'll start at 9 and 11. So at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock on September 11th, we're launching our two-service format. And, and the reason why is, guys, we've got to make more room. We've got to make room for more jars, right? To come in and be filled and be refilled with the greatest treasure that's ever been given, the treasure of Jesus. In 2 Kings, there's this story where Elisha meets this widow woman who has two sons. And she comes to Elisha and she says, Elisha, I'm in trouble. My husband has, has died and creditors are coming. He owed a lot of money apparently. And, and, and I don't have the money to pay the, 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 the debts off that he racked up. And my two sons are going to be, they're going to become slaves if we can't pay off this debt. Elisha, can you help us out? And he says to her, what do you have? And that, can I just tell you, this is not the message, but man, this is a good message. Whenever God wants to do something in your life, he always starts with what you have, not what you need. That's, that's, you, need you just write that one down for a rainy day. He always starts with what you have. And Elisha says, what do you have? And she says, I have nothing. Because that's often what we say, right? We often, we often just go straight to the worst case scenario. She says, I have nothing except, everybody say except. Because you've got more than you know you've got. You just need to start using it. She says, I have nothing except a small jar of oil, of olive oil. Not motor oil. That would have been weird back then. So I got a small jar of olive oil. And Elisha tells her, he says, go get some more jars. Go borrow them from your friends. Go, go, go to your neighbor's house and ask them to borrow some jars. Call up your relatives and be like, hey, I just need some jars. And if you're like me, I'm just picturing mason jars filled with ice and sweet tea right now. Because that's what is up. <laughs> Something about sweet tea tastes better out of a mason jar. Um, if you Don't knock it till you rock it. Anyway. Elisha says, go get some jars and then take the little bit of oil that you've got and begin to fill up these other jars. And so she did. She began to do that, her and her two sons. She would take this small container of oil and every time she would fill up another jar, big or small, the container of oil that she started with still had oil in it. It still had oil in it. And then one day, her oil ran out. Or excuse me. I just messed up the whole story. Her jars ran out. Spoiler alert. Her jars ran out. She goes to her son and says, hey, give me some more jars so we can fill up some more oil. And her son say, listen, we've gone everywhere. We've knocked on every door. We've went to every supermarket, to every store, to every Walmart in Israel. There are no more jars, right? We can't find a jar anywhere. And the Bible says, and this is what it says in 2 Kings 4, 6, when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then read this last part with me. Then 
the oil stopped flowing. See, her oil never ran out until it did, and the only reason it ran out is because she ran out of capacity to receive it. All throughout the scriptures, oil is representative of the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, the Holy Spirit is looking for jars to fill. Can I also tell you, we're not running out of jars to fill. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. We're not running out of jars to fill, but we are running out of places to put those jars. I think today illustrates that pretty well. And here's the thing. You guys okay? I'm just... As a church, we can't keep waiting for one day when. We can't keep waiting for that, that moment that we think, oh, everything's perfect now. We've got everything we need. We have every serve team position filled. We have every dime of money we need to do everything. We no, no, no. We can't do that because if we continue to wait, we will wait forever. But as a church, it's time to step out and say, God, we want to make room for more jars so you can fill them. We want, to, we want to empty some seats. And here's the thing. This is fun to preach to. I love this. This is great. But at the same time, if, if, if a family came in today who was looking for Jesus and they got here a little late, and maybe there is a family today that got in, but, but there may be a family that, that came in and they turned around and walked out because there wasn't any room for them. And what if today would have been the day that their jar would have been filled with the great treasure of Jesus? You see, it's not about the crowds. It's not about saying, oh, we got a big church. It's about changed lives. It's about changed hearts. It's about changed families, which then change homes, right? Which then change communities and ultimately bring real revival. Not the, not the fake, not the superficial stuff, but the real substance of revival, which is changed transformation of human lives. But when we run out of jars because we ran out of seats, that's when the oil stops flowing. Can I just tell you the truth is that I have known of many fantastic churches that had great worship and great preaching and, and great people. But those churches are either in steep decline today or have completely shut the doors down, not because they weren't a good church, but because they refused to make more room to reach more people. It's time to make room for more. And it's time to go get some more jars. Come on, say it with me. It's time, it's time to make room, make room for, more. for more. Real quick, as I close this down, if you're being baptized today, you can go ahead and start making wherever Kristen has told you to go. Because that's, everybody knows she's in charge. I'll kind of let the movement stop before I carry on. There's our service times.
Come on, say it's time to make room for more. It's time to make room for more Jesus in your life. Come on, you haven't arrived yet. You haven't got to where he's taken you yet. There's probably some things in your life that you need, you could carve out of the way. How many of you, you know, you could take your Netflix hours down a few each week and maybe carve out a little more room. You might could set that alarm a little bit earlier and spend some time in his presence. Maybe push that plate back at lunch and, and, and spend some time in worship because I don't care what he's done in your life so far. You're not where you're going if you're still breathing. He's still working. He's still moving. He still has more for you. And the, thing, the greatest gift that he can give you is not a, a blessing that you see out here it's more of him the greatest gift he has to give you is himself it's time for you to make more room for more Jesus in your life in your heart it's time to make room in your life for purpose eternal purpose many of us in here today we love Jesus we're going to heaven when we die but we've been filling up on stuff that just doesn't last. We've been trying to find fulfillment in things that keep leaving us empty when it's all said and done. It's time to make room at Lifehouse for the hungry and the thirsty. I don't think we're a perfect church by no means. In order to be at least considered a perfect church, you'd have to have a perfect pastor, and you ain't got that. But I do believe God is doing something special here. And I'm, I really mean that. I don't mean that in the Christian pep rally way. I mean, from the bottom of my heart, I believe that the Holy Spirit has been using this property for many years as well as the most recent years in a very special and unique way. It doesn't mean that we're better than anybody else. It doesn't mean that we've got something they don't got. That's not it. I'm not in competition with any other church. The only thing I'm competing against is the devil and I'm going, we're, we're going to take him out, right? But we've got to make room because what will happen is we will continue doing what we do. And then one day when there is no more room for any more jars, the oil will stop. And the opportunity that we had to make an impact bigger than ourselves will have passed us by. And God will have found another church and he, he will began to use them in the way he intended to use us. And I don't want to see the oil stop. We got to make room. It starts in here, which moves to our homes, our church, our community, and then it spreads from there, right? So I'm challenging you, Lifehouse, to step up in ways like you've never stepped up before. As you make room for more Jesus, as you make room for more purpose, for more of the things that truly matter. And as we as a church 
make up our mind that we are going to make room for more people who are hungry and thirsty for more of these jars that are out there walking around. Jars that, that we may not see eye to eye with, with everything. Jars that may not look like us or act like us or behave like us, but just like us, they are looking for something bigger, something better, something greater, and they haven't found it yet. And we can say to them, you know, come with me. I know just what you need. I understand what it is you want. You're looking for reason. You're looking for purpose. You're looking for a treasure. I wouldn't say that. They'd probably like it you weird, but you know what I'm saying. So how do we do it? Well, we just make up our minds. We're going to make room. We're going to serve. I know I may sound like a broken record when I say this, but if you're not serving, it must be your first Sunday here. Because that's the only excuse you've got. If you're not serving, it's time to start serving. And can I just, can I, I know this is going to sound bold. And I know this may even be a little offensive. And, but it needs to be said. If you're sitting here today and you know you're never going to serve, you're never going to give, and you're never going to invite anybody to join you at this church, I love you so much. But you need to find another church to be part of because we need your seat. We're still a brother and sister in Christ, but listen, there's, yeah. If you're not gonna serve, if you're not gonna give, if you're not gonna be a bringer, then you need to give up your seat because somebody out there is empty and needs what you've got here. You okay? So I wanna encourage you. Serve. Serve like you've never served. Give. If you're not giving today, the only person you're cheating is yourself. The only person you're hurting is yourself. Can I tell you right now, I'm too broke not to tithe. I need God's blessings over my finances more than I need that 10% that I would give away. Because He can do a whole lot more with, with, uh, with the 90 than I can do with the 100. Amen? So if you're, not, if you're not giving, give today. Start today. Just make up your mind. Try it. Do it. Be obedient to the scriptures. And if you're not inviting people to church, it's time. It's time. Now you might say, well, Pastor Drew, they, they don't have to come to church to get saved. That's absolutely right. But almost everyone I know who has ever given their life to Jesus did it at an altar at a church. Not everyone. But if... After they give their life to Jesus, they need to get plugged into a body of believers who will encourage them, help them, and equip them to reproduce more disciples. Are you guys okay? I know I'm being like super like just, I'm just saying it. You know, I'm not like dressing it up a whole lot. I hope you're okay. Can I tell you something else? Like sincerely, get here early. Like get here early and be ready to have a discussion with me where I'm gonna ask you, hey, can you come to the nine o'clock service? And you're gonna say, oh, I was gonna to go to the 11 o'clock service. And I'm gonna tell you, well, hey, we need more people at the nine o'clock service. Can you come to the nine o'clock service? Just be ready for that to happen because it's gonna happen, y'all. Are you guys ready to make more room? 
with every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, nobody looking around. If you need to make room in your life for more Jesus, maybe you've walked away from him in relationship from him. Maybe you've never really given your life to him. Can I tell you, it's the greatest decision you'll ever make is to say, Jesus, I want more of you in my life. And if you've got to get rid of some other stuff in there, if there's some junk in my jar that you've got to, that you've got to carve out of the way, then do it, God. I want to give my life to you. So today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you need and you want to make more room for Jesus in your life, just where you sit, would you lift your hand high in the air so I can pray for you right now? Is there anybody? Oh, all over the room, all over the room. Father, Father, you see these hands, you know these hearts, you see these individuals. Jesus, come on. Come on, church. Can, can we just pray together as a church today for these that are lifting their hand? Jesus, that you would give them a measure of yourself like they've never encountered before. God, that they would grow in relationship with you. God, that they would recognize things in their life that they've tried to fill up on. God, that have just left them more empty. God, that you would help them see it, that you would help them carve that space out. And God, that they would receive you in a way like they have never received before. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, let's celebrate those. And if you're ready as a church, it's scary for me because I, this is like usually when I give an altar call of any sorts, I make up my mind in advance. I don't care if nobody raises their hand. That's okay. But it's, I care this time. Come on, Lifehouse. If you're ready to make more room for the hungry and the thirsty, if you're ready to see God do a real work here, not the superficial, but something that lasts, that impacts generations and impacts families, impacts a city, impacts a community, if you're ready to make more room for whatever it is God wants to do in you and through you and in this place and through this place, would you stand to your feet? Come on, we can lift up a better praise than that. If you would, would you just lift up your hands? Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to rest in your presence. God, we thank you for your word, not the sermon, but for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that 2,000 years ago, you gave us uh, a, such a gift as you preached this message and as you listed these beatitudes. And God, I pray all over this house that we would grow in our hunger. Lord, I pray that we would want to want you more. And God, that we would taste and see that you are good, that you are so good. And God, I pray that as we move forward as a church into this next season of growth and change and even challenges, God, that you would go before us, that you would prepare the way. God, that you would bring workers to the harvest field. God, that you would raise up men and women of God, leaders of leaders. God, that we would become more passionate for you than we've ever been before. And God, that we would proclaim the gospel with more boldness through word and deed. And God, that we would make more room in Jesus' name, Lifehouse. Let's celebrate him one more time. Yeah, come on, let's do it.